My name is Jenny. My name is Ted. My name is Gray. And my name is Meg. And, and this, this is Anamorphology. Everworld Edition. The Invasion. The Visitor. The Encounter. The Message. The Predator. The Capture. The Stranger. The Alien. The Secret. The Android. The Forgotten. The Reaction. The Chain. The Unknown. The Escape. The warning, The Decision. The Spoke. The Departure. The Sound. Discovery. The Proposed Threat. The Conspiracy. The Separation. The Deception. The Suspicious. The Unexpected. Sacrifice. Diversion. The Beginning. Everworld 10. Understand the Unknown. So what did we read this week? Slash two weeks. Everworld 10. Understand the Unknown. Did we understand the unknown, Ted? Did you understand it? Uh, no. (laughs) Interesting question. (laughs) I'm not even sure what it's referring to, honestly. As per usual, what the hell? I just finished the book, and I gotta tell you, I got halfway through, had an entire mental tangent about (laughs) the goddess Bridget, and, like, didn't really care about the rest of the book. So, (laughs) I don't know, fine. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the plot of this book was, like, super throwaway. We did learn a few interesting things about the world, and I feel Mm -hmm. like those are, like, the valuable takeaways, and I didn't really care about anything else that happened very much. Yep. I think Meg also finished it pretty recently. Meg, what do you think? Yes. I was a little tired of Jalil being like, it doesn't make sense. None of this makes sense. How could it be logical? And I'm like, buddy, pal... It's book 10. (laughs) (laughs) It's a lot of lampshading. Like, please, please jump over that hurdle. And instead of being like, how is this possible? Instead, try and ask, like, I don't know, how is it working? Instead of how can it just even exist? Because it clearly, like, we went over this with the dragon. Gray's incredible dragon rant back in, I think, four. (laughs) But, like, it clearly exists. You're clearly experiencing it. I don't know. I actually feel like we made some progress there. And, like, he made some progress there in this book. I mean, we could probably get into it more later. But, like, he's observing that other people are breathing underwater. So he's like, I trust the evidence of my senses. I'm going to be able to breathe underwater, too. And then he learns at the end, spoiler for the summary, I guess, (laughs) that actually there are laws of this world and the gods wrote them down. And anything that they didn't write down in this, like, scroll... It's not part of the world. So he's like, we won't get the bends. It's not, the gods probably didn't know about that. So we're fine. So like, I actually really appreciate this, that he's like, he's still kind of acting as like reader surrogate for like, this is weird and doesn't make sense. Ha ha. Mm-hmm. But he's, he's making the steps that I was hoping he would make towards, I was hoping he would make them earlier, but still. <laughs> yeah. I would like a magic scroll. I can't believe they discovered the death note in this book. <laughs> that magic scroll. <laughs> I have not seen that. Oh, never mind. It was a very funny joke, I promise. I believe you. Wait, how is it a death note? <laughs> that, like, well, do you think it's they like could edit... It's like a linking book. Yeah, but do you think they could edit this scroll? Yeah. Yeah. And yes. so, therefore, they just write on That's it. That's a very Such narrow... So died. <laughs> hey, fine. Maybe the joke was I guess we're funny. saying... We're just, I'll go be Christopher somewhere the world, else. The first thing she would do is kill all the haters. <laughs> <laughs> But not the Christophaters, because they're valid. Yeah. So this book was pretty, despite the fact that we got several key plot revelations at this late stage, it felt like a pretty throwaway book. They're sort of in transit from Egypt to 
Reese the whole time and a bunch of nonsense happens and there are like several chapters in a row where it's like we have a little escapade and it just doesn't matter and they keep going right um, like maybe they pick up a like a piece of information about the world or maybe not but like there aren't doesn't seem like there are plot consequences long term like they don't they aren't building a larger plot as we've observed out of these little adventures but i i resent the fact that i had two really strong genuine emotional reactions to this book one Aww. the goddess bridget appearing which i was psyched about in principle and the fact that the mayor of Atlantis is a some guy from the real world yeah, who fell through that was cool. 40 years ago. My mm-hmm. jaw was on the floor and I was <laughs> so annoyed that the book had the power to make me feel that way. But we'll we'll talk about it. We can I guess we can give it credit. Yeah, no, there were there were some cool things in this. Yeah. I just think as with the rest of this series, we are nearly to the end. Of we the are. entire series. And I still don't know what the plot is of <laughs> the series. Yes, agreed. This book did not help. I have some thoughts on like I, I have sort of a new a new thought, which maybe I've said it before and I've just re-remembered it, who knows? On like why this series fails to be of interest or build on anything. But maybe first we want to hear Ted's summary of this book. All right. Well, I haven't really prepared for this, so um, feel free to interrupt if I skip something important. Um, <laughs> There's not really anything seems important. Up, yeah, so um, <laughs> they go underwater and they come back up. Yeah. Pretty much. We'll wait and see what happens. So we pick up where we laughed up. We laughed off. <laughs> we did laugh off, probably. We picked up where we left off with our heroes, um, quote unquote, leaving Egypt to head back to Greece. Uh, to help the Greeks stave off the Hetwan forces that are besieging them. Their contract with the Kuhatch secured. In leaving Greece, they have hired a Greek crewed ship of a Roman vessel, a tri- trireme or a quat- quinta quatrireme or some... David is a boat nerd. He knows a lot about <laughs> ancient boats. Um, so anyway... They're on a boat that David knows a lot about. Um, David is reflecting on a his... A quinquireem. A quinquireem. Quinquimareem, quinquimareem, quinquimareem. <laughs> As usual, he um, reflects on each of his friends with some choice words of analysis, which I'm sure we will discuss later. And suddenly, the plot kicks into gear. Merlin is pursuing them. And not only that, but... Despite the fact that it's calm on the sea today, Merlin has conjured up a wind to blow his boat faster than theirs can go. And that is so unfair that the god Neptune, (laughs) no, not Poseidon, Neptune, appears in a giant like sea cyclone and says, Merlin, you can't summon wind. That's my thing. (laughs) And so he sinks Merlin and them and just summons them all down to his underwater palace city place. This place is basically, it's like Bubble Town. I don't know what we want to call it. Neptunopolis. Neptunopolis. Um, So Neptunopolis is a giant bubble. It's full of other bubbles. There's kind of like air biome, water biome all mixed together. There's, There's land creatures and water creatures. And no matter where you are, you can breathe air or water. 
I just realized we should call it Neptune, like a town. <laughs> Neptune Abbey. That's I. Uh, this is this is gonna be. I think that would be just as bad as a Lauren and Lauren in Andalite Chronicles. <laughs> so I think we have to avoid Neptune and Neptune. That's fair. I will grab that point. Anyway, so inside the in inside uh, Bubbleville, they they can all breathe, even though that doesn't make sense. They're just like layers and layers of bubbles around them. And they end up in this racetrack area that Neptune is presiding over. And he's like betting on horses. He smooches the winning horse. Uh, <laughs> then he wants to see some like blood sport. And he sees the, the newcomers and he's like, newcomers, entertain me. And David is, you know, like, he's like, I am favorite of Athena, General Davidius. And Jaleel's like, no, that's dumb. He hates Athena. He's totally good. This is terrible. So April is like, ah ha ha, what a fool. He's our fool and we're minstrels. So we're back to the minstrels thing. Again, April and should Neptune be the leader like, yep. all the time, every time. Mm-hmm. Good one. Good one. My fool. I'll keep you around uh, and to entertain me later. David sees that... Uh, uh, oh yeah, most of the Greeks get killed by sharks. But... Uh, one of the Greek sailors David doesn't recognize, and David speculates that it's Merlin in disguise. Uh, he's, it's going to turn out that he is right about that. Anyway, so yeah, Neptune's keeping them around to be minstrels for later. They're really wondering about how the bubble stuff works, and they're like, how are we going to escape? Because if we try and leave, he'll just pop our bubbles and we'll die. And while they're trying to figure out how to escape, um, David uh, takes a nap. And back in his world, he notices driving a fancy Mercedes, the woman he mistook for a maid four or five books ago. And he decides to follow her back to her estate where she opens the front door, revealing to him that she is not a maid. In fact, she makes him tea and says that she is Bridget, the Dagda's daughter. And she transforms her... Um, according to David, Polish or Mexican appearance to that of a large uh, April lookalike. Bridget is, uh, has been trapped between both worlds, the Everworld and the real world, but sort of voluntarily. And she was basically like, I'm here to, you know, make sure stuff doesn't go bad when you know the gateway is created and so she she learned that Senna's mom had been born basically engineered Senna's mom having a terrible life and wanting to flee to Everworld but she didn't know that Senna was born as well so there's kind of like this loose thread that you know the gateway's daughter was also a gateway and so she's like David you have to deal with Senna um, she's a she's a really big problem. You got to deal with her. And David's like, no one tells me what to do, and wakes up. So he's like, man, you know, okay. So Bridget, she's in the real world somehow. She wants me to deal with Senna, maybe kill her. I don't know how I feel about that. And before he can decide what to do or to tell anyone about stuff, Neptune summons them to be minstrels. Uh, they do not really know what to do. So they nominate Christopher to give it a try, and he sings a Neptune version of 
what is it, Baby One More Time? Yes, it is. Which we they will sing be a singing together. version of Baby One More Time. <laughs> oh, Neptune, Neptune. And during the performance, David sees Merlin in sailor disguise having whammied Senna and kind of like casually stealing her away from them. Uh, David correctly guesses that she's under a magical whammy, so he subjects himself to Neptune, to humiliation in front of Neptune by saying, I am a great and powerful wizard and I will turn this sailor into an old man. And Merlin's like, for some reason, good one, David, you got me. Now that you've called everyone's attention to me, I cannot continue stealing Senna away. And some basic shenanigans happen. Uh, They manage to get Senna uh, away from Merlin and flee the scene. Their new plan is to uh, steal chariots like they saw in the race. And remembering how quickly the chariots moved them back in book eight, um, they they hope the sea chariots will work. Uh, just as well. A lot of people have a lot of questions about how any of this works, and uh, David keeps thinking to himself, WTE, welcome to Everworld, Um, and it made Ted feel very tired. (laughs) Um, In order to steal the chariots, the girls flirt, and the boys fight, Um, and they all steal javelins, including April, who insists that she have a javelin. Senna, of course, does not want a javelin, Their chariots work great. Unfortunately, um, their chariots are not the fastest because they are chased by other charioteers. um, Who know what they're doing. Who know what they're doing. (laughs) However, like a Roadrunner cartoon, David notices a cave, goes very fast towards that cave, and then zips out of the way at the last minute, thus creating a five-chariot pileup directly inside the cave which allows them to continue escaping on their chariots. Unfortunately, they have ended up near Scylla's... Scylla's? Scylla? Scylla? Scylla, usually. Scylla? It would, it's usually Scylla in English, although okay. in Greek okay. it would be Scylla. They end up near Scylla, the uh, nymph monster's realm of Scylla and Charybdis fame, and David cuts off some of her heads, and they keep fleeing, And Neptune finally catches up to them as they reach Atlantis. And Neptune finally cuts off their bubble magic, uh, but it's not enough before they get pulled into Atlantis's bubble where they can breathe normally. We learn once they're in Atlantis that Atlantis is the Everworld home of democracy. It is a a city where, you know, there's a, a government and people vote on things and everyone is equal And, you know, Poseidon and Neptune, who are, of course, very angry at each other all the time, have been vying for control of it, but Atlantis has remained independent. Uh, And the kids are taken to meet the mayor of Atlantis, Jean-Claude Lemieux, which is an amazing name for the mayor of Atlantis because it is obviously French. Um... (laughs) The At this point, this is the thing that had my jaw on the floor. They meet the mayor, and they say, we're not from here, we're from a different world. And the mayor says, oh yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, he was a smuggler around 40 years ago who ended up being shipwrecked next to a, a nuclear test site. And the, uh, the when the nuke went off, he got Saria ripped into Everworld, 
and ended up in Atlantis, and then, over the course of 40 years, quelled the Atlantean Civil War and became mayor, instituting, you know, the his, his uh, colonialist fantasy of what good government should be like. And now, of course, there's a succession crisis, because who but this random smuggler from Earth could rule over the underwater city of Atlantis? Um, anyway, he also clues them in. There is a MacGuffin, the Great Scroll of the Gods, which was created or used by the gods to create Everworld and contains all the laws of Everworlds and thus could be rewritten to, you know, do stuff that's important. Um, Senna wants the Great Scroll because it would make her the most powerful witch who ever witched. And Jaleel wants the scroll because it is, quote, the software that he has been seeking. But I think the scroll, it's uh, it, there's kind of like a secret keeper situation. No one really knows where it is. David is wondering, maybe it's in the last place they would look. It's in the real world somewhere. And David thinks that maybe one day he could be worthy to be the mayor of Atlantis. And the mayor uh, is like, well, what can you guys do for me? And they say... Uh, get us back to Olympus and we'll try and get Zeus to call off uh, Poseidon and or Neptune, I guess just like Poseidon. offer his protection, I guess. Yeah. And they go, they go up to the surface in a diving bell, but they get attacked by a shark and are battered about. They are all extremely injured, including, I think, Senna breaking her wrist. So this is going to test Meg's healing theory in the next Ooh. book. Uh, but they do manage to get to shore where a... Cyclops attacks them and eats Christopher alive. Yeah. The end. Christopher's done and gone. We'll never have to hear from him again, right? Uh, right? I think it was a cliffhanger. <laughs> like, like oh. You can only hope. But I mean, it would be nice if the next book wasn't a Christopher book because, you know, we lost someone's POV due to having an extra Senna book. So I wouldn't mind if Christopher died. <laughs> Oh, no, no more Christopher. What will we do? Oh, I enjoy should, should I tell them what I just saw on the first page of the next book? It's Christopher. No, it's it's Christopher. Christopher! Yeah. That I'm so out. sorry, everyone. It's very sad. So, yeah, I did start to get some editorializing in there in addition <laughs> to the plot. But, I, th- yeah, the, there's, like, this is just, it's just a series of weird stuff. Like, a bunch of weird things happen. It doesn't go anywhere. There's an exposition dump at the end. And one in the middle with Bridget, and that's basically it. Yeah, really all of the things that happen are like, okay, we've got some more exposition about this world. None of it is like, feels like ongoing plot points. They meet someone from our world, and then they're just like, well, we'll see if Zeus can protect you. Bye. And then like, nothing happens. But like, it doesn't seem like anything's going to happen with that guy. It's like, what were we saying? They should be like getting allies? They never do that. And even the Bridget stuff is the same way, right? I mean, she's like, yes, I was here in case there was a gateway. And then there was a gateway, in the, which was uh, Senna's mom. And then she went away. And I was like, good job, me. I found the gateway. I put the gateway back in Everworld. Problem solved. Oh, no, there's a kid. And it's like, we already knew. All, why are you telling me this? We knew all of this already. And it's also all already happened. You're not giving me any new information. And you're not helping me figure out what the is supposed to be going on in these stupid books. So, um, this reminds me a lot of something that the Kingdom Hearts 2 video game did. 
Um, (laughs) There is an evil organization called Organization 13 because they have 13 members and they all wear these hoods so you can't see their faces. But you hear their voices a lot at the beginning. And every time a member finally takes their hood off, it's supposed to be like a dramatic reveal. But it's someone we've literally never seen before. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's like, that's not like, okay, if you're revealing something, it needs to either be one, something we have just a little context for. Or two, something that, like, we have all the context for, but you give us this information and it's in a new light. And so, like, I feel this whole conversation with Bridget was supposed to be, there's no surprises in it at all. It's just, like, seeing the exact same scene from a different camera angle. We're like, yeah, we know Senna's mom got chased out. You didn't have to, like, tell us this whole story about, like, you were the one and these were my reasons. Just be like, I chased her out. And then maybe give us, I don't know some new world building or David is so incurious he has this whole incredibly silly reaction where he's like you can't tell me what to do like is sort of contrarian teenage thing which is like honestly quite in character for who David is but like all he thinks is like she might not like Senna so I have to be mean to her. He's not like, this is a god who is in our world and has taken an interest in me. Maybe I can get something out of her. Maybe I should ask her, how can you get us all home? And at least get her to get to the quid pro quo part before he decides to turn it down. Right? Like, Can I just say, he would be the worst leader of Atlantis. (laughs) I got to that part where he's like, maybe me. And I was like, you already said near the beginning of this book that like you can't read people and it's a serious weakness. You are not a good leader of these teens. Like you are not going to be a good leader of this city just because you're from our world. And he's very inflexible because the thing with the scroll at the end is he's like, okay, well, Senna wants it because she's you know power hungry and Jaleel wants it because he's a huge nerd. Uh, but I need to finish the mission that I started in book seven, right? Like. Stopping the war between the Greeks and the Hetwan is like it. It is kind of nice that they had. There's like a story thread where they go to a place and come back, but I think the fact that there's like an all-powerful scroll is maybe more important, <laughs> right? Like Jaleel and Senna definitely have the right idea here. David is like he's got blinders on. Okay, so I told you that I I have I have a new like lens through which to view why these books are not interesting to me. And it actually, it came courtesy of, of John Green. We read uh, a John Green novel in book club. Which, uh, which one? Uh, An Abundance of Catherines. Uh, there's a thing at the end, it's like, you know, what really makes you like special is like what, what you care about. And I was like, yeah, actually, that's completely true for characters. Like, what makes a character interesting is like, the things they want, the things that ca- they care about, the things that really matter for them, like that's what hooks us into a story. So you have these four kids who are thrown into this new world, like fairly classic fantasy setup, right? Being thrown into a new world. But like there's a sort of inherent challenge built in like that portal fantasy because if you're suddenly in a new world, you don't care about anything. And so you have to either get something to care about really quickly or you have to care about each other. And Apple Grant, like, deliberately created this group of teens that doesn't care about each other. Like, if we had the Animorphs going on this adventure, we might be frustrated with the plot, 
but we would like the characters because they like each other and they care about each other and their dynamic is just inherently fun to read about because of that. So you have these four kids in this world, they don't care about each other, they don't care about the world, they don't stay any place long enough to build any bonds, so they're like they don't even develop anything to care about in the world. And there's not like an inherent like you know, the four kids go to Narnia. First of all, the world is cool. We love the world from the start because Mr. Tumnus is super charming and, you know, there's stakes there and, like, we care about his fate. And then, like, oh, they could be kings and queens? That's cool. Let's see that happen. Like, say what you want about, like, you know, at this point there are some overplayed tropes there, you know. It's been a long time since Narnia. But, like, there's nothing like that in these books where, like, oh, but these kids could do this cool thing. Like, there, there's so many different ways to compensate for like or to provide something for them to care about and it never happens that's such a good point well i've just i've got two things to sort of hang hang on to that like we had this moment to demonstrate just how off the rails neptune is where he's yelling at our crew and then he stops he turns he picks a random aztec out of the audience and was like you and just kills them with his trident to show like how awful he is and their kids were like wow he's so scary he just killed that random guy and i'm like okay what if that had been a friend that we had had or like someone who was with our group standing here on the sand like it wasn't one of the four of us but you know like one of the sailors we've been with but no the the sailors got killed by sharks with turkey and the straw playing in the background (laughs) Um, the sailors were pretty anonymous anyway. We only yeah. really met the one and not, not significantly. And, and he was just, you know, freaking out the whole time about, oh, no, the ocean gods. Anyway, yeah, no, I, I'm not impressed with any of the side characters because I'm agreeing with Jenny that, like, really, we haven't built connections with anyone. There's nothing attaching us to anywhere. Um, but also when you said if the Animorphs were dropped here, and now I'm imagining that instead of going off into the stars at the end of the book what if the boys had ended up in everworld and like we're trying to get back to cassie in the real world and i think it would be i just want to read more about the animorphs i think that's what i think that's what this is coming from here at the very least they would know what to do about sharks with bubbles on their heads Mm -hmm. they (laughs) dealt with that already if that is so true could they uh, acquire a dragon? Could you imagine if, like, Nidhogger oh. was like, aha, I've turned your hearts into rubies. <laughs> and then Jake was like, you thought, and he acquires Nidhogger, and we have an actual dragon battle with one of the kids being dragons, because the kids have been, like, mostly realistic things all the way along. We've had a couple animal morphs. Okay, I gotta come back to this Can they acquire tangent. gods? I go- could they? Do gods have DNA? Did they write that into the great scroll, scroll of the gods? <laughs> oh, what if they couldn't acquire things because the gods didn't know about DNA? <laughs> I just want Merlin to demorph and it's like Marco. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. That would redeem like the entire series. So, Maybe. Probably not. Yeah, Jenny, the point I wanted to make about your thing, I totally agree with what you're saying. And in addition... One of the reasons that the kids don't make connections to the people of Everworld is that the people of Everworld are thought of by the characters and portrayed by the text as being basically sub-people, yes. right? Like, they have this attitude that they're superior 
to all of these other people, even the other mortals, right? It's not just like the gods are all powerful and and kind of crazy, but it's like everyone's so naive and simple-minded. And it's this real, I think, colonialist fantasy of like, take any, you know, four average kids from the, you know, the 90s and oddies and send them to ancient Rome and they'll become kings, right? And it's... I should have seen it coming, but the, like, the revelation of, like, I came from the real world, and I'm the, I'm some random dude, I became the mayor of Atlantis, and over 40 years I have created the perfect democratic society. Which we are so good at doing in our worlds. <laughs> yeah, of yeah. course. It's just, like, it, it's, it's this, uh, it's a particular kind of colonialist fantasy that yeah. I probably would have just zipped right on by reading this in the year 2000 but it like really sticks out like a sore thumb the analogy i wanted to make is to the game of thrones books Mm. um at the end of the third game of thrones book so this sort of spoilers i guess but who cares at this point daenerys targaryen basically she's been on this kind of like anti-slavery crusade in this kingdom that's far to the east of her you know birthright and she basically sets up shop in this city and she's like you know what before i go home to get my royal birthright and rule westeros i'm gonna stay in this random city that i conquered and i'm gonna prove that i'm an awesome queen Mm. and the initial vision for this plot is like daenerys targaryen settles here at the end of book three at the beginning of book four, we'll have jumped several years into the future. And she's like, wow, that was some great queening I did. I'm going to get <laughs> on my dragon and fly away. At least I assume that's what the original vision was. And of course, George R. R. Martin could not figure out how to execute on his plan. <laughs> so he, you know, rather than having a time skip, he's like, let's see what it would be like for Daenerys to rule. And uh, he, I think made the correct choice in saying that, oh yeah, if you come in as this like conquering queen and try and rule as like an imperial, you know, emperor, you're going to make a lot of mistakes and basically no one's going to like you and you're going to fail horribly. And the fifth Game of Thrones book does an amazing job of showing Daenerys coming in being (laughs) like, wow, these like simpleton Eastern, you know, kind of like Orientalist view, like weirdos and their weird customs and stuff you know, I don't really get what's going on. I'm not happy. This isn't awesome. And she gets completely outmaneuvered and outplayed by everyone who surrounds her. And, Mm -hmm. like, her fledgling government basically is driven entirely into the ground. And Uh it's such a satisfying deconstruction of that, like, oh, hero flies in, is successful queen, fixes whole civilization problems. Mm -hmm. No character here matters because everyone we care about is back in Westeros, right? Uh Like, uh, so anyway... Uh. Yeah, that's a really good connection. The Apple Grant really doubles down on the like only people from our world are real in this. Yeah, it's like yeah. very much the opposite of what uh, George R. R. Martin, I think, correctly identified as the problem of colonialism. Yeah, one of like, the problems. Yeah, just the uh, the idea that it it's uh, the the fantasy that it's so easy. Yeah, because like okay, so he's I guess he's French. We don't actually learn where he's from. I think he's he's... Canadian. Oh, okay. That's that's my headcanon. I I don't actually know. Yeah. He has a French name. 
he he could be Canadian. He like would obviously know like he has sort of more knowledge of like where statecraft has gotten to in our world and so I could see him like bringing those ideas to Everworld. Like I really like that idea, but yeah, the idea that he would just be able to like be a brilliant politician and successfully outmaneuver everyone because they're just like somehow very naive and he's like trying to train someone up to be a successor but he can't because they just have this unshakable naivete and i'm like what that doesn't make it that's that's it's not xenophobia exactly it's like xeno scorn I, I i don't know if there's a term for that if someone comes from a different cultural context just like thinking they're not a real person yep. or like not a not a fully developed mind well, and France, as with many of the other imperial powers of England, has a habit of doing that, going into other countries and saying, whatever system you've had in place for however many hundreds of years, not that great. Don't worry, we're here now and we will teach you the right ways of doing things. And then you get many hundreds of years of conflict and civil war because hey, it turns out just being from a white country doesn't make you good at shit. And I don't know. It's just it's weird. such a weird... I've decided if I were able to sit down with Apple Grant and ask about these books, the thing I would want to know is where the fuck are you getting <laughs> your information? Do you have a, just a very old encyclopedia, you know, world book encyclopedia sitting on a shelf somewhere, and that's what you were reading, and that's where you got this stuff. You did not have Wikipedia. I'm not trying to say you should have Wikipedia, but you clearly read a book about a something at some point in the process of writing this series. Which book was it? Because it seems to be missing some stuff. For example, Atlantis widely considered to be, in fact, the epicenter of art, wisdom, democracy, mm. like good governance. I mean, it was a, a <laughs> utopia that sunk beneath the waves for many different reasons, depending on what, you know, group of people you're listening to. But like the whole thing about it is they were really good at politics and, and writing and thought and, and to say that they sunk beneath the waves and then needed a white savior is a little weird to me. What, what book are you reading? <laughs> Why couldn't it have been, this is a city that sunk, sank beneath the waves and because Poseidon and Neptune are fighting over it, it's rule without the gods. And that's why it's prospered. Right? Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. That'd be great. Anything other than this. Yes. Anything else. Please. Please. Yeah, we had someone from our world show up, and not only was it this weird colonialist thing, but, like, we didn't really, like, we learned, I guess, there's, it seems like he got thrown, like, through between the worlds because of, like, a nuclear explosion, so maybe there's, like, some Sario Rip, that kind of thing going on. So maybe that's a useful insight. He told us about this scroll, great scroll of the gods, whatever it's called. Um, so, like, that's useful, I guess, but, like, we didn't really get... What else did we get out of his presence in this? Like, not only does it seem like we're not carrying him forward and, like, through the plot in a meaningful way, but we didn't even get any, like, exposition out of that that we couldn't have gotten from, like, talking to someone else in Everworld. Like, the fact that he's from our world is is interesting, but, like, it, then it doesn't go anywhere. Now David has a plan for his future. It's not a good yeah, plan. Yeah, I'm really afraid that's going to be true. It makes no sense that he would be the ruler of Atlantis. He would be so bad at it. it truly okay, would be shit. Jenny... 
I figured out what the ending to this series is going to be. What is that? I'm going to spoil Lost Season 5. Okay. It's the same as the ending to Lost Season 5. What we've established here is the groundwork needed to combine Senna's invasion of Everworld with Earth technology Mm. with a solution to how the kids get home in that Senna (laughs) steals a nuclear bomb and brings it to Everworld and they set it off, which sends all of the Everworld kids back to Earth permanently in a reverse Sario rip. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. But it will be the last paragraph, (laughs) similar to season five of Lost. Ah. It will end with someone hitting a button, explosion, fade to white. Oh, so we never know if it works. Exactly. So we can have the headcanon of they all die in a nuclear explosion, but probably they succeed and they go back. Mm. How do you think the series is going to end? No, wait, we should wait till we actually get to predictions for that. (laughs) I take it back. <clears throat> I think I've just come up with the perfect that's prediction. Your, that's your I, prediction. I think... Yeah. They're going to set off a nuclear bomb. I was wondering if they were going to try to do something like that. And I was like, would they be able, like, would Jaleel be able to figure out how to create a nuclear bomb? And then I was like, so is he going to go to the real world and look up how to create a nuclear bomb? And is he going to get on, like, every FBI watch list? And <laughs> this could be dangerous for him. Do we want to talk about Bridget, since I know Gray is very excited about it? Or mad about it? I don't know. Are you into this? I'm into her appearance and confused by her attributes. Uh, Yes, because Bridget is so... She's one of the best gods. Like, she's so cool. Yes. And also, yeah. So I like Bridget as a character in... Like, as a goddess, uh, enough to have named my cat after her. Yes. And in this book, uh, you know, she appears, she, I don't understand if it's just that David is an idiot or (laughs) they were trying really hard to have him be so not racist that he just circled right around to being like weirdly racist. But he's, this is the maid that he saw in a previous book. And he says, I told myself the woman was just some superstitious, soon to be old lady from Poland or Mexico, or someplace less sophisticated than the good old U.S. of A. Do you really think they were trying to have him not be racist with that? Because, I mean, I feel like they could have tried harder. I, I truly also, can don't I just, know. Poland and Mexico just have, like, there are probably people from Poland and from Mexico who could look very similar, but certainly if you think of, like, maybe the most common colorings in those co- like those are not countries where like they're similar ethnic groups like yes that's not really like a normal point of confusion it's deeply deeply bizarre to me and like the the it seems to be him just saying well she's she's lower class she's a maid and therefore she must be from one of these two immigrant communities but like what are you talking about it's deeply weird. And then later, she introduces oh, herself. Oh, and the, like, can I just also say, since you read that quote, the soon-to-be-old, like, what a way to discredit someone. Like, that's, it's, soon like, ageist, old. but to, like, an extra degree, where, like... Well, you know, women have, like, an instantaneous expiration date. 
so. <laughs> it's like she's almost at her expiration date. No, you know, not worth anything at the store anymore. Best before. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we'll get into the misogyny, like, yeah. in greater depth later, but, like, just wanted to highlight that phrase as, like, well, she'll be old soon, so there's no point in listening to her. It's terrible on so many levels. It's just... David, it's you're so 17. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. What does soon to be old mean? And it turns out that, like, one of the reasons it's ageist is that her appearance changes. And so she can appear like a gray-haired older woman, or she can appear like a dark-haired middle-aged lady, or she can appear like April's older sister, young, with red curly hair. So I think that the point they're trying to make, and again, I'm really stretching to reach the point, but I think they're trying to make a maiden mother crone triple goddess comparison. Not an Irish thing. It's a Greek thing. Greek had maiden mother crone. We have gotten it into a bunch of other places, but the triple goddesses in Irish mythology were not maiden mother crone. That's not what the three triple, that's not what triple goddess means in that context for any of the triple goddesses. So Bridget appears for the first time in Celt- in sort of the written history of Celtic mythology in a text called Cormac's Glossary, which is basically just a dictionary that's half in Latin and half in Irish. Irish? I think it's in Irish. And it basically just like lists out a bunch of different Irish words and, and translates them. So I'm going to read you the, the text for Bridget. And all of Cormac's glossary is available online, uh, but it's really hard to read. So I'm going to read you a translation that comes from the Encyclopedia of Celtic Myth and Legends, uh, because that's what I have in my house. Okay, so Bridget, a female poet, daughter to the Dagda. This is the same Bridget, the female sage and goddess whom the poets venerated. It was because of this she was called the poet's goddess. Her sisters were also called Bridget. Bridget the female doctor and Bridget the female smith, daughters of the Dachta. Under these names did all Irishmen call her the goddess Bridget. Bridget is from Breo Ashit, or Fiery Arrow. Bridget or Bridget, daughter of the Dachta, is here first recorded as having a triple aspect. Poets did indeed regard themselves as her son. In actuality, she is venerated now more by women as the goddess of the hearth, who keeps in the fire at night and as the protector of domesticated beasts, especially cattle, and of the whole dairy process of milk, cheese, and butter making. Her emblem, the three-legged weaving of rushes, still protects home and barn, and so her triple aspect lives on. So they're sisters. And that's true oh, okay. of Bridget, who there are three goddesses, the goddess of poets, the goddess of smiths, and the goddess of doctors or healers. Sisters all named Bridget, all the children of the Dachta. And that's also true of the Morrigan. Mm-hmm. The, the Morrigan's also a triple goddess, and it's also three sisters. It's um, Morrigan, Maha, and um, I can't remember the third one. So it's just like a weird weird thing that they've gone with this maiden mother crone which is like not one of her aspects the other weird thing about uh this book is that as soon as david meets her they have this like conversation about senna and senna's mother she says you have to stop her fine and then he like goes on a whole 
uh, rant about why would I trust you? Why should I listen to you? How dare you try to manipulate me? And then he wakes up and he's back in Everworld. So David goes to April and he says, April, have you ever heard of Bridget? And she says, she gets real snarky about how, why would I know about her? Are you saying that just because I look like I'm Irish? It's like, okay, well, let's not get up on our high horse. You're in the middle of Everworld. Sometimes Irish people know a lot more about Ireland than otherwise. Fine. Uh, but maybe because you're a feminist, you would know about female gods. That's not better. Not better. <laughs> Whoa, what the hell is wrong with you? Fine. So she says, I read some mythology books. If she's who I think she is, she's some kind of triple god. You know, creator, preserver, and destroyer, birth, life, and death. A lot to do with fertility, childbirth, healing, too. Poetry and inspiration. I don't know her story, though. What happened to her and all. That's what you mean. Again, my, my, my real question for Applegrain is, what the f- book are you reading where that's what you took away from it? What book of mythology is April reading where you got poet, smith, healer, and it somehow became creator, destroyer, giver of, like, where are you getting this information? please I just I want to read it so I can understand you better because I don't understand and it makes me very irrationally angry when you state I read a book and it's the book said that she is you know birth life death a lot to do with fertility no no I I don't understand and it doesn't it just I get every time every book There's something like this where I'm like, what are you reading that's telling you this wrong information? Because if I can go and read it and be like, yes, you read the World Book Encyclopedia from 1987 and it was out of date and it didn't know anything and now we we know more (laughs) because it's 2021 and I should stop being snarky about it. Fine. I accept your source material as the best you could do at the time. But I don't think it was because... Because we know more than that. We do. I'm just, I'm shaking all of the pile of books that I currently have about goddesses at the screen because I'm so frustrated by this. Yeah, and it's like possible that we have some new information now, but like, I also don't want to fall into the trap of being like, well, it's 2021. We know a lot of stuff now. Back in like 2000, probably did we didn't know anything. We're like, there's no real reason to think that this information wasn't available. I guess it was a time of like less... Uh, information abil- availability in general just because the internet hadn't gotten this as far. Is, but they like, literally say the exact same thing in Everworld where like, oh yeah, in our modern day, we know a lot more now than they did. Exactly. <laughs> like, like, I don't want to fall into that trap. Like, I think the library. Yeah. You had the library. <laughs> if you're gonna say stuff, I just want you to back it up somehow. I just checked this book, which is Robert Graves. By the way, one of my favorite people who writes about mythology this book was written in 1948. So, you know, we knew some <laughs> shit and he's very clear that she is a triple goddess, but of poetry, smiths, and healers. So, like, I don't want to hear you coming at me with your, like, oh, you know, she's the destroyer of worlds or whatever the hell. That's not her. No, yeah. I I do not feel like a principle of charity should be applied exactly. to Exactly. <laughs> I... I I think what this is, is you know a little bit and it makes you think you know everything. So Mm -hmm. the most likely explanation is, oh, yeah, triple goddesses. Those are always made of Mother Crone. Oh, Bridget's a triple goddess. Oh, I don't need to look that up. Right? Like, to me, that's the the explanation. 
Probably. Interestingly, this was ghostwritten, so I also want to know, <laughs> did they, did Apple Grant write down, Bridget appears, put some stuff in about Bridget, <laughs> or did they write down, Bridget is the triple goddess of whatever? Even, the, I mean, they would have edited it. They could have changed, like, that line. I want to talk a little bit about, like, okay, ageism and misogyny are often linked. And, like, I have, I feel like I have gripes on both scores with this book. Mm-hmm. And, like, a lot of it is probably, like, based in the character, and it's, like, a little bit debatable of, okay, oh, is the book saying this, or is David supposed to be a flawed character? We've talked sort of about this this question before. It's It can be tricky to untangle, like, portraying realistic characters versus portraying ideas the author believes in. There's some ageism here that I think we can just put squarely on the doorstep of the authors. Like, especially because it doesn't seem like this is, like, a strongly held view of Bridget. Like... I'm just so annoyed that she, like, her real appearance, according to the text, or at least according to David's interpretation of it, is of the, like, the maiden, like, April's older sister. And, you know, there's something like, it seemed like it was taking effort for her to maintain her her real appearance, which was of the lovely young maiden who's, like, two feet taller than a normal human. And I'm just, I'm so annoyed that, like, and this is, of course, a trope, you know, the old woman melts away to reveal the beautiful enchantress. But, like, Merlin's real form gets to be an old man, but any powerful woman's real form has to be young. And that's just such so in line with the terrible way that society views women in general, where youth is, like, key to their value. And I'm mad about it. And I'm also mad about other misogynistic things that David did. But if anyone has anything to say, anything to say about the ageism, I want to open up the... <laughs> well, you know how I feel about the c- 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 combo of ageism and misogyny. This is like a particular fight I had back in college with a lot of guys. And it's, yeah, it's frustrating. And I'm, I'm mad to see it repeated here again by our hero. And gosh, if only there were other cool stories in the world that had... Amazing old lady badass characters. But <laughs> I want more. Okay, I'll work on it. <laughs> Despite there being a ghostwriter, I, I don't know what this says about the series, but I feel like the Audie's portrayal of like white boy sexism and racism just mm. comes through perfectly. Like I, I do feel like the author has perfectly captured who David is. <laughs> um, but one thing that I wanted to um, call out on this topic uh, was the way David introduces April. Mm. She's the girl you want to go out with because you know you'll have fun and you know things won't get weird. And you know that even if it doesn't work out, she'll let you down gently. What a description of a person. Like, oh, who's this person? Well, this is what it would be like to date her. <laughs> That's all that women are good for, right? It's just their relationship to men. They're definitely not good for throwing javelins. Nope. The thing that jumps out to me is that I I feel like this is so insightful that like the idea that having a partner with needs is quote (laughs) weird Mm. says so much about this like endemic toxic masculinity of like, oh yeah, she won't be weird in that she... (laughs) requires me to treat her like a person right <laughs> like it's weird is such a she's damning cool, not word weird. to use yeah right yeah those are your options <laughs> <laughs> i also there were a couple go on 
I was just gonna say there were a couple of scenes where David has these moments where it's not even like spoken being an asshole. It's just his like immediate reaction to a situation is to you really see his personality come through his actions as well as his internal monologue. For example, they're going through one of the weird portals between like an airlock and water lock kind of place, and he's a little nervous about it. April reaches back to take his hand to like make sure he get he gets through and he's like hell no he recoils because the mermen are watching him and so he can't appear weak by taking April's oh, hand God, to go yeah. through this door and it's like that is so telling of who you are as a person and it's not yeah. great buddy like just little moments like that scattered throughout I mean I think the book was very good at displaying his personality the problem is his personality sucks (laughs) right and the book doesn't really seem to be it did feel like the books are condemning senna like senna's book was like condemning her even while it was showing like some of her complexity it doesn't really feel like like it feels like we're supposed to think of david as the hero if a flawed hero but like he still gets to be the hero and the leader somehow for some reason even though the books do seem to be very specifically, like, they do, they are aware of the things he does that are sexist. Like, when he's like, oh, javelins, um, Julio, Christopher, grab one. And April's like, hey, what about me? And David's like, well, if you think you can do serious damage with it, which, okay, couple things, David. First of all, David, or Jaleel, Christopher, not trained at javelin throwing. You, not trained at javelin throwing. Like, granted, I'm sure April would be much better with training, but none of you have training either. Um, April probably has had stage combat training. (laughs) (laughs) Theater nerds can be vicious. Also, like, why would you not just want everyone to take a weapon? You're not paying for these. Like, it's like, oh, well, you should take one if you think you can do serious damage. Just take one anyway. Even if she deserves, like, even if she manages to distract an enemy, that's one more person you don't have to fight. Okay, so Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. Actually, the second book, The Stormlight Archives, there is this disadvantaged duel where it ends up being one person against four Mm. people in, like, these incredible, huge, basically, like, the mecha equivalent of magical armor. Cool. And so two other people jump into the ring to help and they don't have the magical armor and like one of them doesn't even have the magical weapon, but like they're able to at least distract some of these opponents. So the person who can do something about it can like tackle each person one by one, like turn every advantage you have into some kind of an advantage, David. You know what this reminds me of? It's the thing where so many times it seems like media properties like destroy themselves or like don't go for a potential target audience because they just don't want to appeal to a certain type of people like a certain type of person like David's thing is like he is not going to go for this potential military advantage because he's like caught up in his misogyny he's like it's like it is actually a serious weakness he thinks it's his inability to read people which I'm sure is true it's also his uh inability well to value anyone really when you discount half of anyone everyone you know as like not really people of course you're not going to have the ability to read anyone (laughs) he has a a thing um earlier on where he's like all right i wasn't going to ask the others for help but if anyone had a brilliant idea i was going to take it and i was like okay that's like a fun psychological insight 
like, you know, that he's not willing to show the weakness of asking. And he's like, you know, Jaleel's plan, Christopher's plan, any plan was better than no, like, even if it wasn't my plan, it was better than no plan. And I was like, okay, that's kind of the wrong reason for, I mean, it's never good to not want to ask for help. But like, I thought it was because you were afraid of looking weak. Turns out it's just because like, you're not okay with anyone's idea being used except your own, which is like, I feel like a degree worse. But also, oh yeah, maybe one of those two could have a plan. Maybe one of the other boys could have a plan. Not the Let's girl not throw though. April in the ring. Yeah. No. Let's not be ridiculous. Not set up a brilliant plan. witch. <laughs> no, girls can't plan. So What are you going to say next that they can lead? Come on. It's occurring to me that David doesn't have an arc. Right? <laughs> this is the last David book. Oh my goodness. Right? Yeah. You're like, right. We, we, God. Sort of had, we sort of had the... Because um, we learned about his traumatic past. And there's the really, like, sort of grim thing in his last book where Senna rubs his trauma in his face and there's the there was the thing in the first book where he's humiliated in front of Loki and he pees his pants and he can't stop thinking about how embarrassed he is and then like it occurs to me that there are several times when either of those things could have come up in this book and they don't he just he's just single-mindedly focused on the plan he hits things with his sword and he thinks mean thoughts about his friends. And it's just like, he, he's just as, he seems just as flat, flat a character as Santa in the past book, even if he's not as like explicitly villainous, right? But like, he's just going from thing to thing. So we are rounding the corner into the end cape. Like, I didn't like realize mm-hmm. this until something Gray mentioned earlier, that there are only two books left. Yeah. And... It doesn't feel like there are only two books left. I mean, with Animorphs, you could sort of tell that we were hurtling towards Mm -hmm. a finale. Mm -hmm. Did they plan for more than 12? Were they asked to end early? Do we know? Have we talked about this before? I don't know. I think we've talked about it before, and we still don't have an actual answer for it. Because, like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like they are shaping this series very carefully. On the other hand, I do feel like the introduction of... I feel like the introduction of the MacGuffin in this book Mm -hmm. could be, as well as the introduction of Bridget, could be building to a very, it it feels very Mm escalating in a way that, uh, you know, I don't know. Like It sounds like maybe at this point they see the end coming. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I could imagine. But like, I don't know what kind of coherent ending other than the like, everyone explodes. (laughs) Do, Do they survive? Question mark, question mark. Ending, you know. (sighs) In terms of David's arc, I do feel like there was a moment that I was like, oh, this is like centering something that's been a struggle for him. But then they didn't really go anywhere Mm. when he is performing for Neptune. and, And he's like, I am a great magician. And Neptune laughs at him and he's like, okay, even though it hurts, you have to take the humiliation for like the good of the plan. And like, that's kind of a moment of growth, I guess. Um, And then he was willing to do the like humiliating fight with Merlin I don't know. It didn't really feel like it was part of this huge thing for him, but maybe that like that was a moment that I thought was going to like be a bigger thing, and I was actually like, oh, this is going to be tiresome. Oh, great, they're not doing anything with it. Okay. <laughs> don't worry. I mean, I know that there are two books left because some of us are anxiously counting down the number of books we have to read <laughs> in this Only stupid two. series. But also, uh-huh. I really, I I just don't understand the way that this series was constructed because mm-hmm. what is I, it, it's just, we're 10 books in and what's the plot I still don't know it's the most like 
pantsy of pantsery pantses that ever pants. Are you saying <laughs> that they're <laughs> being necropantsers? Yes. <laughs> I'm saying this whole series is just pants. Um, to borrow a British expression. Yeah, we've been watching a lot of Bake Off. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> um, I think I feel like a lot of the stuff that I want to talk about is more predictive stuff. So do we want to start pivoting in that direction? Oh, I, okay. I want to... It's almost like paying lip service at this point, but like the I mentioned the Audie's racism stuff. And just to call out a few things, uh, when David describes Christopher, he talks about his, quote, outrageous racial stuff, <laughs> um, which is just is a really Racism. good example. Racism was yeah. the word you were looking for there. Right. It's a really good example of this, like, white fear of... Like, being a racist is the worst thing you could call someone. Mm. And so you can't call Christopher a racist because that would write him off as a bad he person irrevocably. Stuff. Um, and sort of the, you know, Trump era inability of newspapers to make the factual reported statement that Trump said the thing that was racist. Mm. Within, like, paragraphs of each other, he looks at the sea of faces in Neptune's crowd and describes the diversity of it. The, the races, the human races described, are white, black, Asian, and undetermined. <laughs> and the satyrs are described shortly afterwards as black and brown, which was, to me, an incredibly fucked up juxtaposition. Wait, are satyrs, do they have, like, a fawn upper half? Uh, it depends on who's doing the art, how far oh, up okay. the fur goes. Because Mr. Oh, Tumnus okay. had pretty much a waist-down sort of situation. Uh-huh. Um, but I've also seen him where it's like pretty much just a goat that walks on its hind legs. So mm-hmm. your your I mean, I was level that of was like the fur, fur may vary, but like it is weird in conjunction with the oh, races. I just mean like if you're gonna reduce people to oh, yeah. colors <laughs> and say that the <laughs> yeah. the races are white, black, Asian, and undetermined, undetermined, yeah, and then go out of your way to distinguish between black and brown satyrs. Got and it, got it. Yes, yeah. it's pretty fucked up. So I feel like one thing that that is interesting to me in this in this series is the way that the kids are like, we keep calling them, you know, kind of quote unquote our heroes. They might sort of be on the wrong side. <laughs> like I, I feel like Bridget is probably pretty cool. Like maybe not. Maybe she's evil. I don't know. Wait, yeah, Bridget and Merlin are definitely the good guys. Yeah, Bridget and Merlin are totally the good guys, and. I mean, part of that, like, I guess I'm predisposed, like, Merlin tends to be a a good guy in, like, media, and, like, I kind of have a connotation for him from, like, growing up with Western, you know, culture. But, like, it definitely seems like they have the right idea. Senna, as we know, is pretty much evil. I was just listening to our episode about, um, our last David episode where she's, like, throwing his trauma in his face and is like, wow, this... This girl's terrible. Like, she is straight up a villain. Can I quote David to you about yes. Senna? I absolutely love this. Uh, Senna had what you might call flexible morals. Yeah. Whatever she does to other people is fine. What anyone does to her is unforgivable. That's not flexible <laughs> morals, my man. No, but it's a hilarious... I thought... Yeah, it's a very cheek, good it's insight. Very it's yeah. a very good... Like, that is true. <laughs> she is definitely a villain. Like, the fact that she is, like sort of one of our main characters-ish, and, like, everyone else kind of feels like sort of they want to defend her. Maybe mostly David, I guess. Uh, But, like, pretty sure she's the villain. Bridget and Merlin are on the side of the good here, and uh, hopefully our kids will figure that out. They're going to have a moment where they're like, are are we the bad (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the villains in their own story. 
Very crazy. Every villain thinks they're the hero. I have a Christopher moment I want to point out. That was weird. Go for it. So Christopher is being inappropriate all of the time about the fact that the women are all topless. And he's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. talking to April and being like, oh, you should, you should go with the local customs and just being his normal disgusting self. And there's a moment uh, where they're looking at a, a Selma Hayek lookalike mermaid, you know, in the books. And Christopher says, dude, she wants me. I can tell. David laughs. So this is the first time anybody laughs at one of Christopher's jokes. Like, <laughs> book. I don't know why, Ugh. except that Christopher's ability to drive me crazy with his moaning and piss me off with his bad attitude was tempered at times by his ability to make equal fun of himself. I'm like, would we say that's what he's doing? That's, that's I not- actually think it probably mm-hmm. is. Like, he's like, because, you know, this, like, this merwoman is there and she's, like, kind of glaring at them and turns and leaves. And, like, I mean... It's, like, crappy that he's, like, the only lens through which he can see her is would she or would she not want me. But I do think it's, like, self-deprecating, like, oh, yeah, she totally wants, you know, yeah. she wants me, I can tell. You know, I think I, I do feel like it was meant yeah. to be a, like... And then just, like, yeah. a page, just, like, a page later, he, uh, David asks Christopher if he can lighten the mood a little bit. And then Christopher talks about how he's just been vomiting for, like, the last day back in, in real world times. But I'm, like... None of you like Christopher. Like, that's that's canonical. Sometimes the text is like, haha, we like it when Christopher jokes. And I was like, why? <laughs> Do you? you? We don't. don't. <laughs> anyway, so I thought that was interesting that the, if this is ghost written, that I feel like this person was told, hey, the kids think Christopher's really funny, even though that has not been backed up textually in the nine preceding <laughs> volumes. Let's, let's talk for a minute about this ghostwriter. I do feel like this book is better than Animorphs 37. Oh, for sure. Animorphs 37, an utter abomination that is the worst thing I've ever read. That bar is so low, it's actively underground. Yeah. And in fact, for the most part, I think this writing was fine. There was about a chapter in the middle where, like, all of a sudden, nothing made sense. And I was like, what... (laughs) What is happening? <laughs> like, so this is when they've just, um, they've just had their performance for Neptune and they're trying to decide what to do next. And it was just a chapter of like repeatedly people saying things that didn't quite make sense. And I was like, am I losing my mind? Like, I felt like, you know, and, and things that didn't like, didn't get connected in ways that made sense. And like, I would just like to share some of them because I was so aghast. So there's this whole, this is like, you know, what do we do next conversation? Jaleel starts talking about how, like, we need... It's all, like, these ti- this tiny stuff that doesn't quite make sense. Jaleel's like, oh, we need... Maybe we can take these chariots to the surface, assuming we don't get killed in the process, and that those rigs are more than capable of getting us to the surface. And I was like, why do they need to be more than capable of getting you to the surface? They just need to be capable of getting you to the surface. And then the next line is like, you know, they're, they're pulled by seagoing creatures, dolphins. Like, want to make a bet they can't breathe air? And I was like... Jaleel, buddy. <laughs> turtles. Turtles was the other one. And I was like, yeah, no, it was dolphins, seahorses, killer whales, and those huge sea turtles, April added. Want to make a bet they can't breathe air? I just have so many questions about why, who, I just. It doesn't, it like, it was completely nonsensical. And then like, 
why would they need to breathe air to get them to the surface? Okay. And <laughs> I have an explanation, which is this book was written by a mermaid who's been trapped in our world. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> that doesn't explain Anna Mars 37. <laughs> no, like, so there's also like, um, all right. Jaleel's like, does anyone have a better suggestion? And then all of a sudden, Christopher's like, do you know what a floater is, David? And he goes this whole thing about how, like, I don't want to be a dead body on the surface of the water. And then David's like, great, then it's settled. Let's go hijack some chariots. I was like, that that didn't make any sense as a progression. That, what was that <laughs> floater bit? Like, that, I, and then the next page, they're like, it wasn't hard to find the stables. We followed our noses. And then we, like, it's like, we followed the kind of pleasant smell of hay. That's when we spotted a chariot with a broken wheel limping its way towards this building. I was like, well, did you follow the chariot or did you follow your noses? Like, it was just like, it was all this stuff where I'm like, does this, this almost make sense. But like, so I read a lot of fan fiction and I feel like there are a lot of stories where there'll be something in like the first few paragraphs where you're like, well, that doesn't quite follow, but okay, well, I'm interested in the premise of the story. Let's keep going. It is always a mistake. I feel like there's a thing, like, if you cannot grasp the relation of statements to each other and, like, what makes sense is a logical progression or, like, cause and effect, like, it always indicates some larger problem in, like, the storytelling. And I'm always disappointed when I continue with stories like that. I was particularly amused because um, just, just, like, yesterday, I started to read a story and in the first, the first sentence... It was like, you know, someone like sat in a room, like struggling to catch his, struggling to breath. And I was like, okay, well, breath and breathe. That's a really common typo. First sentence, bad sign. I'll keep going. It was a mistake. (laughs) And several pages after this whole section of like, what is this? This is like nonsense writing. There was a line. David struggled to remember it was okay to breath. And I was like, no. (laughs) Now, granted, that was potentially not the ghostwriter's fault. Apple Grant could have made edits. There should have been copy editors on this book. But I was like, this is just so ironic. <laughs> That's my rant about the writing. I like it. I'm reading a, uh, I'm reading the, I read the, the ebook, which is, you know, illegally put onto mm. the internet. Since uh, there are no ebooks of these. Since yeah. there are no ebooks. I would happily have purchased an ebook, dear, you know, If they were in print. Scholastic. Like, I mean... Let's not urge them to put out ebooks of this series. Fair point. I actually would not reread an ebook because I don't ever want to read this series again. But I was I'm reading the ebook and the fun thing about that is that, you know, often words get messed up in the sort of transliteration because it's not an official ebook. And so double letters almost always become single letters. So at one point mm-hmm. they talk about a butt, but it's the wrong butt, and I thought that was very funny. But also some letter pairs get um, like mi- mismatched in the translation, and at one point, um, David is concerned about something, but instead, it says that he is uh, con- convened. I think with something, and I, <laughs> I looked at the sentence for like not an insignificant amount of time, being like, "Why would you be convened?" And then I, I had to reread it like four times to be like, oh, concerned. You're concerned about this. Right, fine. Who cares? <laughs> Two things. One, I have actually stayed in a The Little Mermaid themed hotel at Disney World in Florida. I was at the Art of Animation and I stayed in the Little Mermaid themed wing. And Amazing. Um, Alpha Grant was pretty spot on. 
as to how it looked. With <laughs> and two, uh, I just opened up and looked at the interior cover for this book. Gray, I'm gonna hold it up to the camera for you so you can see. But the com- oh my god, I don't have that. So the compositing work is the same quality as always. We have our main characters trapped in bubbles, um, and these are photos of uh, of actors Who playing our is kids. This? Jesus, this is dude. Senna. So this is Senna. That is the ogling guy is probably Christopher. Then we have April and. That it's one's April. Jaleel. Sure. April is Jesus. Yeah, April is, <laughs> yes, Jesus. April is Jesus. And uh, I think that's actually, you know, that one's probably Christopher, who's like, ladies, please. So those are photographs. The people are <laughs> photographs. But then uh-huh. we have these computer generated. There are only three models of mer people used. There's a dude model. There's a female model. <laughs> we can see them here, like um, being copy pasted. They're just posed, they're so shoulders. they're like really simple. Oh. They're really simple CG rigs, so they can be posed in these different images. There is one child right behind. Oh, that's terrifying! <laughs> Holy crap! Um, and most of the women are wearing seashells, even though they're naked in the book, except for exactly one pair of nude breasts that are highlighted (gasps) just underneath April's foot. The rest of the, of the model is in shadow, but we got just one little tiny, and like, no wonder it's not in this, this must be a second printing when they ripped that out. I'm so confused L-O-L. because do you have the actual like is the cover of your book mag does it have like the raised metallic thing it does okay because mine doesn't this must be like a cheapo version okay. because it does say first scholastic printing but it doesn't yeah. have the raised silver it just has like kind of white you know color and um and there's no inside picture at all Meg, it's, it's just... very important to me that you take a picture of that and that we upload it to <laughs> yes. the, the episode. I'll, the little I'll kid behind Jaleel in my is nice scanner. But yeah, so the most terrifying thing. It's just it's so funny to me that this last mermaid and I counted twenty mermaids. So our oop, come on, focus, camera, you can do it. The entire body is in shadow except for this bright highlight right on the chest area. <laughs> Listen, I'm fine with the boobs. I got okay. no problem with that at all. Love me a good pair of boobs. But the could, kid though. Scaring the crap out of me. Yeah, that kid is so terrifying. Like, Look at that. You can it's see Chucky, my but a mermaid. You can see my <laughs> finger in here to like give you a sense of scale. Like they're oh, yeah. they're dated. I hate, I hate everything about it. But hate it so yeah. much. Worst. 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 So, yeah, the the ogling of the mermaids was very um, low low hanging fruit lowbrow humor Mm -hmm. but i did appreciate the equal opportunity ogling and that one of the mermen in particular looks like david boreanaz specifically david boreanaz from buffy and angel she explains yes yeah she's like he's i I thought i thought that was great (laughs) yeah angel must have like just started at that point they were big buffy fans clearly I also, just this is completely random, but I mentioned that uh, David is a boat nerd. Uh, when when they get to Atlantis and they talk about the Agora there, David's like, I recently picked up the term Agora in my time with the Greeks, and yet at the beginning of the book, he knows what a trireme and a quinquireme <laughs> and all these other kinds of weird boats are. I just I love also, that so much. So they all speak English. 
Agora just means marketplace. Why would they ever use the word Agora if they're speaking English? That's a great point. <laughs> that also reminds me of another weird thing in this book. At one point, they referred to people as like gesticulating in body English. Yes, body English. I oh my god, that. I missed that. That is hilarious. <laughs> was that like a copy editing thing where they replaced language with English? Like body English. I've never heard of that. I think it was like applying body English to the horses or something. It was very odd. I had a couple other like weird things. So um, at one point, David's like, the chair was brocaded. I think that was the word. Maybe it was figured. And then he's like, I should know the word from like all of the decorating magazines my mom reads and talks about uh. constantly. And I was like, I can just imagine the the like the ghostwriter having put in like David being like, it was brocaded. Maybe it was figured. And the, the authors being like, there's no way he would know that David word. Um, let's <laughs> pretend his mom reads magazines. Great. <laughs> By figured, did he mean filigreed? I don't, I don't know. I don't what know. He's My mom even... doesn't read these magazines. How am I supposed to know? This is like I, somebody has to. One of our one of our mutual friends has had to explain to me more than once the difference between tool and twill t- and twill. Yep. Oh, uh, twill. Twill is different, also. Twill. Yes. T o i l e. Which. Oh, twill. <laughs> because I have seen that word and was like, type of fabric, do not need to know any further. And it turns out, one, I do not know how to say it. And two, I could not for, like, if you gave me an option of multiple fabrics and said, which one of these is, what was it? Twelve. Uh-huh. I would be like, mm, I don't know. That what one. I, thought, right I definitely thought that that was one word until quite recently in yeah. my life. And, like, I was like, oh, I must not know how to spell it. Oh, I must know, not know what it is. Like, I, and, like, I keep correcting the one thing. But it turns out there's, yeah. a lot of, there's a lot there. That's me thinking that there are two kinds of wiener dogs, dachshunds and dash hounds. Because I had always heard <laughs> it one way and read it the Dude. other way. Yeah. Uh-huh. Me, me too. too. Me too. Oh. D-O-X-E-N. Man, thank you for saying that and out loud. dash yeah. hounds. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I'm with you. Okay. Go fast, right? Yeah. <laughs> They're meant to hunt badgers or s- stuff. They were bred to get in those yeah. holes and go after like weasels and all kinds weasel of burrowing animals. Oh, I have a weasel comment. Um, a- first of all, <laughs> do you guys do you guys know what they haul in this book? Do they haul B-U-T? chariots? Not. They do not haul, but do they, they do not haul it? chariots. Do they just haul? Nope. No one's guessed it. They haul whores. English. They haul ass. They do? What? They do! Let me actually find it just because this is so... I can't believe I missed it. Oh my god, I just looked it up and they do. They do haul ass. Oh, that's very funny. They all, at one point also, April says, that's bull dash. (laughs) (laughs) You're not even trying to pretend they don't say She should have said, that's bull product. I was going to say that. Yes. Okay, so the weasel thing. Um, so the opening of this book is like David being like, it was, there's a saying, it was the calm before the storm. <laughs> and then he spends like two paragraphs being like, why would someone say that? Like maybe for this reason or this reason. I honestly, I after was, the first two sentences put, is this the dumbest opening to any book ever? And then it kept going. But I think it's so good, like, teen boy. It's so stupid. I love it. It sounded like the kind of thing I would have written about in my diary in ninth grade. Um, Anyway, I was very entertained because I don't know if you guys know this, but there is a famous story from, you know, 
2,400 years ago of an actor. And I, I was, I was entertained by this connection because of course they're like on a Greek ship. They're going back to Greece. And there's Love a story, story of an actor <laughs> named Hegolicus, I'm going to pronounce it that way, who was an actor in Orestes, the Euripides play. And in this, now this was 408 BC. And this, this, this is a mistake on stage that has survived 2,400 years of history. He was supposed to say, after the storm, I see again a calm sea. But he mispronounced the word, and he said, after the storm, I see again a weasel. <laughs> and this guy, this, <laughs> this mispronunciation has made it to the present day. We still know about this dude. 2,400 <laughs> years later, we're like, that dude was an idiot. Uh, it's one of my favorite stories. So sad and embarrassing for him. It really is. But also, what what immortality he achieved through his craft. Speaking of animal-related trivia, uh-huh. there was a significant part of this book where they're underwater, so they're talking about all the different kinds of things that they're seeing swimming around them, right? There's the there's that yeah. whole thing about, like, they're led by dolphins and turtles who apparently don't breathe, and the different kinds of fish and whatever. So, this week, I read a book called Why, uh, Why Fish Don't Exist, <gasps> which is very good, by the way. Highly recommend it. I listened to the audiobook. Whoa. And... It's all been a like, conspiracy. Yeah. It turns out that... Fish, as a biological category, not a thing, does not exist, because there is no way kind of cladistically or taxonomically to categorize a thing that is a fish, because there are so many different families within the aquatic world, right? So basically, there are lots of different evolutionary branches. All of those branches live under underwater, and they've all evolved various ways to live underwater safely, but they're not all connected. So her example was, if you look at a cow, a lungfish, and a salmon, and you say, which of these is most closely related on the Mm. evolutionary tree, most people would be like, well, it's the two fish. It's the lungfish and the salmon. But it turns out, nah, it's the lungfish and the cow. And the salmon is less closely related to either of the other two. I mean, I guess we lump together all these creatures under the water. We're not like, ah, yes the, I don't know, some word for land creatures. They're all exactly. related. Yeah, it's, it would be exactly the same thing as saying all all things that live above the sea. And so, mm-hmm. like, birds is an actual taxonomical category. Like, there's a mm-hmm. way to mm-hmm. define that. But there isn't really a way to define fish. So there is no such thing as a fish. And mm-hmm. I think that is very interesting. But it did mean that while I was reading this book and they kept talking about the different kind of fish, I was like, Nothing. I know a little piece of trivia that I learned <laughs> this amazing. week, and I think it's very cool. So that's yeah. That reminds me of the like the you know monkey versus chimp versus gorilla. Mm-hmm. Like, like yeah, the category is not mapping. Yeah. I now want us to come up with words for fish that are taxonomically valid, and and then stop saying fish. <laughs> Great. You know what? I'm I'm sticking to fish. I'm going to be a fish traditionalist. 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 Yes. Thank you. Excellent. <laughs> Amazing. You guys, speaking of fun trivia to learn. So at one point, so they're getting into a diving bell to go to the surface from Atlantis, and Jaleel is like, "It looks like a porta potty," and I was, and he spelled it in the book at least spelled it like porta, 
And then P-O-T-T-I. And I was like, is that how you spell porta potty? So I looked it up. It is not how you spell what we would call a porta potty, like the like movable bathrooms that you would use, you know, go in and lock the door. It is, in fact, a word for like a little camping toilet that you'd like bring with you. And that's the like brand that's spelled P-O-T-T-I. So he was referencing a very specific and somewhat obscure brand, like type of camping toilet and saying Ivy Bell was like that. Should we do some uh, references? Other big topics? Yeah, I mean, of course, we had the excellent (laughs) David Boreanaz comparison. We had the Salma Hayek comparison. Very topical reference to The Perils of Pauline. Oh, yeah. Like, super (laughs) modern. That was like a 2000 movie. silent film. (laughs) (laughs) That was, it's such a great example of like, David's like, it's something out of The Perils of Pauline. And I was like, that doesn't sound like a 90s reference. No, like 1914 or something. Did you guys crack the Laura Flynn Boyle reference? Laura yeah, Flynn they Boyle. found a new thin person to compare people to. Do you know who she is? Do you remember who she I is? Only I only know her, her from Men in Black. <laughs> the only thing I've Ooh. seen her in, I think. Yes, but she, that's a tough role for her. Um, yeah. The, the, I know her from uh, The Practice. She's, mm. the, she's the evil DA. Because the practice is about defense attorneys. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's the evil DA, which to me connects with the Dylan McDermott reference from a few books ago. Mm. Um, what they were watching on, at what, the Twin time. Peaks. She, yeah, she Twin Peaks is what oh, yeah. that came up when I searched for her. Um, of course, the best 90s reference was Christopher's song, which oh, yeah. are we going to sing it? We got to, we got to. I mean, I, think, I don't think we can really sing it together. I yeah. think we should try. We I can think, all sing it. We'll edit it. I'll edit it together. All right. This is not Sorry. going to work. We need to choose a designated karaokeist. <laughs> no, no, no. We all, well, we're all going to do it, and then Ted we'll have the separate the tracks. tracks. I'll cut between us. All right. Oh, Question. nice. Okay. Do you remember what they called the, the song? Because they did not use the real name of the song. The song baby is entitled, one more time. Yeah, the song is titled "Hit Me, Baby, One More Time." Yeah, they, they called it called it dot dot dot, 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 dot baby Isn't one it more time. In parentheses though, or something. I thought that was actually how the title was styled. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Okay. So dot 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 baby one more time is the name of her first studio album. That's the album name. Yeah. But I think the not... single is. No, no, no. The is single. Really? Yeah. Like you can see the first one, dot 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 baby one more time. I've just right. I've just looked it up and I it lied. is called dot 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 baby one more time. I take it back. <laughs> they have done their research this time. Uh, All right, true. Yeah, they can right. research Brittany, but not Bridget. Jenny, do you want to All establish right. a key and then about, and then we'll? Oh, mighty Neptune, has that for that's, us starting that's out? That's great. All right. Oh, mighty Neptune, as, as far as the gods to go. Hard line to scan there. <laughs> so that was great. We're all gonna be pop stars now. 
I mean, glory to the god of the sea is to pretty great. I, I genuinely sea. love that. <laughs> oh, man. So, okay. We know that Grey's cat, Bridget, is also Visser 3. Do we think that the goddess Bridget in these books will therefore also be Visser 3? I think she'll be the Elemist. Just to really <laughs> mess with me. She will never come back. <laughs> last time and you were wrong that is the correct answer though all right (laughs) i i think she'll be referenced but i don't think we'll meet her again Mm. i think we would have met her only in david books oh but if they do a megamorphs type thing that's true yeah prediction from me is i really do think our last book is going to be megamorphs everyone's point of view Mm. because otherwise they would have tried to wrap up david's emotional storyline in this book oh that's a great point and would they i have a question (laughs) okay i have a question about the finale and it's like what is success for our characters finale wise is it just like explode cotton yeah is it explode cotton and go home and then senna is a trophy in the cheerleaders (laughs) In the cheerleaders trophy oh, case, yes, Buffy. Style. Yeah, yeah. I think it's prevent the danger to our world that would come from the gods maybe invading. Uh, I think Jaleel uh, is going to become the new god of Everworld because he's going to rewrite the scroll and be like, "Listen up, we're doing it right this time." Except that he's going to like rewrite it and then walk away. Like he doesn't want ongoing power. Oh, deism. I, I see. Uh, no, what if the what if the scroll is like the time matrix and both Jaleel and Senna rewrite it at the same time and then they are like opposing <laughs> chess masters? I was gonna say I what can't if the scroll is like the time is matrix. The Alamist. <laughs> right, Jaleel rewrites the scroll, but he rewrites it sort of to be like he's the one who creates Everworld in the first place and it's all a circle. Oh no. No. He would not I have he would not deign to write this Everworld. So talking <laughs> about the scroll, I better. just this is this is mostly just like a a, a plug or a, a reference that it made me think of. The great scroll of the gods is like we wrote a god and the gods wrote down all the rules of Everworld, and then that's a thing that exists somewhere and it just defines what Everworld is. It's the like lore behind the Mist video games that like huh. all these beautiful worlds that you travel to and solve puzzles in are contained in books that are written, and so. It's like, they're called linking books. They have like the moving picture that you touch and it teleports you there. But the I've always loved the fiction of like literally discovering new worlds by writing them and sort of like you kind of like specify the history and the way everything works and stuff. And like, you know, your craft as a writer could create a better thing or not. So I love the idea that this is exactly how Everworld works is that they wrote down something and then... Some stuff still doesn't make sense about it, but that's just because they, you know, <laughs> someone needs to go and clean up that scroll at some point. Needs some, uh, needs some amendments. I do have like an actual prediction. I mean, obviously Keith is going to come back. The scroll is going to come back. I hope Bridget is going to come back. Merlin, I don't think is gone. I think, okay, so David wants to use artillery to blast the city of Cotton Ore. I think there's also going to be something naval because he says... I could build a boat that would sell rings around anything anyone here had. I think he's going to do that. We have learned a lot about boats. Oh, man. They're not even back at Olympus yet, though. David, like, it takes so many know? people to build a boat. 
<laughs> well, he's going to draw up plans and like he's going to have the Olympians build it. <laughs> so, okay, okay, we didn't even really talk about the end of the book, but they meet the Cyclops, right? So mm. are we going to have a Homer-inspired book for our second-to-last book? Of, like They're just trying oh, to get back Greek. to Olympus. Come on. I mean, they did, like, they did do Scylla in this book. Like, they've wow. already gotten part of the the Odysseus thing, and, like, Neptune, well, Poseidon hates them, okay. so... Senna traps them all on an island and seduces them for, like, nine years, and then... <laughs> And then, and then they finally go. Uh, okay. Perfect. Actually, Senna versus Cersei would be awesome. I would love to read about that. Are the kids okay, going to ah! choose to stay in Everworld or choose? Wait, is that a Cyclops? David will choose to stay. Senna will get shipped back to our world without her powers, and everyone else will go back to our world. Why there, are these this is a Cyclops. covers so terrible? Uh, to scare you, Gray. Is there an interior cover? There is. Oh, my God. What? Oh, we should have done more predictions. This is amazing. What is it? Well, we still have time. Why are there six of them? So there's this girl who seems to not be one of our characters who's walking with Christopher through a field with, like, all the other other four characters around. Um, And there are, like, little pixie fairy things. Okay. And there's a tree. Oh, my God. Is she reaching for an apple? Is Is this this the tree of life? No, she's reaching for, like, two little pixie thingies. I saw a spoiler on the back of the book. I'm very oh, excited. okay. Do you, you want to guys... ask us leading questions to get us yes. to... Yes. Okay. So, so, this is a... We're doing a new mythology. This is not This is not a Greek giant, I guess. They're in a new land. What mythology are we going to do? it didn't seem like do? a cyclops. It had two eyes. Just one was, like, askew. And yet, Jenny, there is a picture of a okay, cyclops well, on the cover. Okay, well, covers are bad. What, what do we even know? So, all right, new mythology, but there's, like, a, mo- well, a it's giant... It's a new mythology. I'm not going to say it's a brand new mythology, but it is a new location that they're diving into the mythology of. Are they going to do, like, the mountains? Like, we're going to get trouble with the dwarves? It's not the mountains. Okay. It's not the mountains. Is it the valley? <laughs> Um, I like this. We'll just guess the elevation of this place. It's, well, I guess it could be a returning mythology. It looks very, like, is it going to be fairies? No, we did fairies. We did fairies. What did we not do? Elves? No. We didn't do real fairies. Witches. (laughs) What are real fairies? I mean, we didn't do fairies based on any actual mythology. Right, so what mythology are we going to do? Um... Is it American mythology? Celtic? Are we going to get, like, Paul Bunyan? It is the land of ire. Wait, what? For sake, I'm going to be so mad about this whole book. This is a land of giants, leprechauns, and it's, yes, yeah, it's Ireland. more cool. gods. Cool. Wait, so they're just, they're like, we did leprechauns badly before, let's do it again? I just want you to know that I'm going to take... All of my Celtic mythology books, which I have many, and just throw them at the screen. Great, these books were designed to torment you. <laughs> why do they hate They've cast Bridget as the Elemist. But, 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 why? Wait, why? But, there's only two more. I'm so confused about how this is different than Fairyland. Maybe it's not. Maybe they're just back in Fairyland. We shouldn't trust the back of the books oh, too much. That is true. That is true. Okay, so obviously Bridget will come back. That's, that's great. And Chris this is going to be so bad. Place, right? I, I don't. Why? Okay. You guys, I'm going to be sick for the next recording. I can't do it. <laughs> okay, so... That's allowed. 
I do like, I, th- I think someone's theory before was that we would get a Goosebumps ending where they go back to the real world and then they fall asleep and they wake up in Everworld again. <laughs> I'm, I'm being pretty persuaded by that idea. I feel like that's the kind of non-ending that these, the series is going to give us. So the title is Mystify the Magician, which to me... Merlin's got to be in it. Right. He's like, <laughs> Merlin is chasing them. But like, I wonder if... If they're in Ireland in this book, they're not going to get to Olympus unless they stop off briefly at Olympus, right? I so, mean, maybe Ire, maybe Ire is right next to Olympus. We no, but know. I feel like this has to be about like Merlin versus Bridget versus Senna, hmm. and well, Merlin and, and Bridget not about Senna. the gods versus Kaanor. So maybe this is the book where they hash out some kind of deal between like Senna and Merlin to fight Kaanor, and then the final oh, book will be. Okay. Everworlders versus Kaanor. Because mm-hmm. I can't imagine any of the alien stuff the way this book is framed, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, you never know. They show up all over the place. Or maybe this is where the scroll is hidden and they're going to get the mm. scroll. Ugh, I don't know. It's probably going to be bad. What if we find out that this, the real scroll are, is the Everworld series? The real scroll are the friends we made along the way, Ted. I quit. Wait, okay. <laughs> but seriously, Jenny, what if the scroll is a person, like a storyteller? Oh. That some person holds within them. It's an Apple all Grant self insert that's like a tale <laughs> teller. Like a dark tower. Yeah. Okay, no, but what if Jaleel reads the scroll and then it gets destroyed and then he sort of becomes the scroll because he holds this knowledge inside himself. I like that. And so he doesn't go back to the real world. He lives here in Everworld where he doesn't have OCD, which is definitely not something that could be addressed and he could definitely not have a normal life with that quote-unquote normal, you know, with that going on. <gasps> That's so he has why... to stay in Everworld and become the new scroll. That's why we don't have another Jaleel book. Is he magical girl ascends to be a... <laughs> Or like Atlantis when she, the Disney movie, when they turn into the beacon that's powering Mm -hmm. the the city. Okay, here's my prediction for the next book. Christopher dies (laughs) in the first chapter. Sorry, this is predictions, not wish lists. (laughs) This is is one chapter where... So this picture is just, you know, leading us on. Got it. Then it passes to Jaleel, who finds the scroll of, of Everworld in the heart of... Everworld Ireland by solving a bunch of riddles. So there's a book just like full of riddles and puzzles and mysteries and stuff. Jaleel solves them all. (laughs) Jaleel solves them all and ascends. Let's see. Yeah, I can't decide if it's better for Senna to die or to get trapped in a box forever. Um, (laughs) And David becomes the mayor of Atlantis. April goes home to the real world being like, whew, at least I'm home. And then she goosebumps awake. Oh, at the end of this book, terrifying. And then the final book, we introduce a new character. <laughs> I, I, I was doing. I forgot that there are two books left. Uh, okay, um, no, but I think I think there's going to be a romance. No, 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 no. April, I'm sorry, sorry to cut you off, Jenny. April <laughs> faces down Kaanor alone, and she summons Christian God to kill Kaanor, <laughs> and that's the, that's the finale. All right. Oh my gosh. All no, these okay. things are going to happen. I think I'm in sorry, this Jenny. next book, there's going to be... No, you're fine. <laughs> I think in the next book, there's going to be a romance between Christopher and um, this other girl oh. who um, 
because look look at her dress. She has this sort of like old fashioned-y peasanty garment thing going on. And um, like a Renaissance fair type dress. Um, and look how that one strap has fallen down, Madame X style. Yeah, clearly, clearly a temptress. Or there's going to be a romance. And I think I think uh, he's going to try to become a better person for her. She is the personification of Everworld. And she's like, be my champion. <gasps> she's the Ever Girl. Craig <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> rolls her eyes. Hate these oh man, books. you guys. Please cut this. I was thinking you you can cut you can do whatever you want with it. I was thinking I was thinking like yeah, there's totally gonna be a romance, and I opened to like there's like a preview, and it was like the tongue was about the same size as me, and I was like ah oh right he gets eaten by a giant. That's not about the romance. Okay. <laughs> Wait a second. Yeah. Vor <laughs> is it Vor time? Are we getting into Ed Vor world? No, it's um. It's like the new Resident <laughs> Evil game has a really, really tall woman in oh, it. Oh, man. Lady and Dimitri. everyone on the internet loves her. So, Yeah, he's going to fall in love with this giant. It yeah. turns out to be a lady giant, but she Guys, has a small form. It's almost over. <laughs> That's Greg, all you're I'm so strong and brave. Yes. Theoretically, the climax of the series will be in this book, and the next one will be falling out. Absolutely <laughs> not. Unless, no, I unless they just run out of money and we get... Ireland, and then the week after that, we get like the ending of everything. No, 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 not even the ending. It's just like, <laughs> what's I don't know. What would be the most disappointing mythological note to end on? More Norse. More yeah, Norse they do. Guys. They do like Valhalla. That's like the fifth, the twelfth book is no. Yeah, they all die like, in this I'll book. Go to and Valhalla. Then in Valhalla. I am very much not looking forward to the next book. I yeah, definitely think we're getting a non. We're getting a non-ending. That's. I think it's gonna be like the best. I think the best case for the ending is a nuclear bomb possibly kills everyone. <laughs> I do. I like that theory. I like it. Maybe Keith brought one with him in his arsenal. Uh, what if we reboot Everworld and Galahad comes back? Like we get the scroll oh, like the and we like reboot it. Time thing. Yeah. We'll call it Overworld. Uh, see, all of our ideas are just better than this. Yes. <laughs> I want this series to be Overworld. <laughs> so I was thinking after we do Everworld, we can immediately go on to Remnants. <laughs> Jenny and I are doing a Bleach podcast. <laughs> oh yeah, we have to do that. We have to do a Bleach podcast. I don't know what Bleach is. No one tell me anything. I'm assuming it's about a laundromat. So. <laughs> Anyone who wants to do Bleach I do kind of want to read like, um, you know, the one and only Ivan and... You know, the first book of the Gone yeah. series and stuff to just kind of prove to myself that Animorphs wasn't a fluke. Oh my god, Animorphs was so good. I think we're I think we're out of steam. I think that's it. That's it for this book. Thank God. This was awful. We're out of hope. We're out of endurance. I can't do it anymore. Don't make we're me. Out of faith. Two more, Gray. Two more. If only they weren't doing Ireland next time. If only they weren't doing Ireland. In the it's book, like they you wrote get to summarize. Book. I know. I just want you to know. It's just going to be 30 seconds of beeps. Followed <laughs> by, and then they all die. That's just what my summary is That's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. All right. All right. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop the recording. Next Same. time on F*** Off, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> If you want to find us, we are at Anamorphology.com and at Anamorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. 
And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. We pick up where we last left our heroes, quote unquote. Sorry, uh, Ted, that was Egypt me falling to head over. back to Greece. What was that? Sorry, I was telling future Ted editing my soundtrack that that noise was me falling over and going right next to the mic. <laughs> Are you saying that you were speaking to the Ted editor?